0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Empower Podcast. My name is Byron Beasley, and uh, we also have Steve Miam. I'm a software engineer, and Steve's a professional uh, recruiter for the gaming industry. Um, so typically, we have on guests that we'll talk with and get their insight and hear their story to help out you guys getting into the industry or people who are looking to get into the industry. Um, but we're trying kind of a different format. Um, I guess this would be, I guess, season two of... power up right we're in uh the new year now we're in 2022 um so i figured that steve and i could just kind of have a conversation um talk about maybe networking um putting yourself out there posting your progress on stuff sites like linkedin and um a little bit later um i'm charging my headset now but i kind of wanted to show off a little bit of a vr project that i'm working on um as a demonstration on um teaching aid on some some uh um some things I've kind of learned about VR development, if that's something that you want to get into. Cool, right on. And uh, yeah,
1: um, so many different topics that we can talk about. And I love that uh, Byron is working on some independent projects. So um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to see how did you want this? Like, what questions do you have? What are you looking to do? Um, how do you want this uh, this conversation to go? Like, what's what are the big topics that are in your brain right now?
0: Um, you know, the thing that really comes to mind every time I think about VR and AR is UI and UX. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that those are just very, very, very important. Um, I just see the most job growth in those two areas specifically. We just did an episode with um, Alexia Mandeville, and um, she kind of touched on the same thing, right? Um, you kind of have to juggle um, all these grand ideas with your development team with the end user and how the user experiences uh, the actual product. And
1: for all the listeners out there who don't know what is UI and UX, can you
0: explain those please? Sure, so a little bit about that, UI is user interface. Um, that's basically um, any any menu that you're interacting with on your phone on a daily basis. Um, so when you're on YouTube, uh, when you see that subscribe button, the like button, the dislike button, all of that stuff I would categorize as user interface and the user experience. Um, it really goes hand in hand with that. It, to me, that's more so, um, how does it feel? Does, is it satisfying to, to, to use those apps or to play that game? Um, because I know there are certain games that may have like a clunky system. Um, uh, maybe that's not something that's fun for you. I would consider that to be maybe, maybe that part of the UX is lackluster. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I would describe um, those two. Okay, cool.
1: So with all that uh, being said, um, you mentioned like interest in this area. You mentioned a project that you're working on. Um, yeah, what are some things that you that you wanted
0: to chat about? Sure, um, definitely uh, VR. Right now I'm working on a VR uh, project. I'm just letting my, my headset charge up a little bit, um, and we'll bring it out in a second so you guys can see it on YouTube if you watch afterwards or if you're watching the stream. Um, but yeah, basically I've always had the vision of, um, teaching people in a more unique way. So some background on, on myself, I have a degree in music, music technology from San Diego state. Um, and I've always felt that traditional lessons never worked well for me. Um, I, I and I always wanted a more interesting way of engaging and learning it. Right. So think back to something like Guitar Hero. Everyone loves Guitar Hero, but not may, maybe not everyone loves to learn to play guitar. See what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of goes along with the UX, um, how, how the, you know your user experience. So for me, a big thing with this project is that I wanted it to be kind of an intuitive and fun way for students to learn how to learn to play the piano. It's a virtual piano, virtual reality piano app. Um, through the Oculus Quest 2 which has like really cool feature called hand tracking which is pretty accurate it allows you to kind of play the piano and stuff like that um, and I learned a lot of um, a lot of things along the way for instance um, Unity I made it in Unity The traditional UI doesn't work that well so that there's a lot of considerations to make when you're working on um, specifically a VR application That you need to keep in mind again for the end user. It all comes back to the end user for me. That's kind of that's the big thing that I'm that I'm trying to focus on. And another big one and that that I've talked with Steve a lot about is haptic feedback. Um, so for those of you guys who don't know, haptic feedback is basically um it's feedback that you get when you're experiencing something in a game, like a sensation. Um, the best way I could describe that would be um let's say you're playing a game on your PlayStation or your Xbox and uh the controller vibrates that's haptic feedback um and unfortunately we don't really have anything on the market that that everyday consumers like like myself could buy um to simulate haptic feedback in vr so the challenge that i was faced with was i wanted to i wanted you to be able to play a piano in vr but as a piano player i realized that with no tactile feeling and no feedback it felt next to useless so i actually found a way to get my phone to vibrate every time you hit a key on the in the actual application gotcha okay so this is this kind of sounds
1: like in the evolution of iPhones there was a time where they had the, the home button was an actual physical button, and when you press it, you could feel that click. Yep. But moving forward, it was no longer a physical button. It was just like a kind of sensor. Mm-hmm. And then something that, I, that Apple did is whenever you press that sensor, the phone itself would vibrate. Exactly. Right? So it would give you kind of the sensation. It would give you the feedback that as if you were pressing a real button.
0: Mm-hmm. Does that explain it well? That explains it perfectly, Steve. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I've experienced that myself with phones. Um, It really irritates me. Like, I usually download my own version of a keyboard app because sometimes when I'm typing or texting on, like, a Samsung phone, I I don't feel a vibration, so I'm prone to misspelling words and stuff like that. So, again, I'll download a separate app for that, a separate keyboard app that has the vibration, the haptics um, built in. Gotcha. Cool. So you mentioned that this is like,
1: ultimately, you want to have a fun way of learning. Is it how to play the piano specifically?
0: Yeah, definitely. in to start with your piano. Um, piano is, is the is the main instrument. Um, I find that most people, like if they're taking lessons on piano, they're doing it through classical music, through sheet music, and they might that that might not be the most fun. Most like, most people, especially now, especially younger than me, right? They're not learned. Mm-hmm. They're not really, they probably won't be engaged that way. So it's just kind of a way of gamifying that whole experience. Gotcha. So gamifying
1: the entire um, process of learning music from learning how to read the music to how to play the piano, where to place your your fingers, mm-hmm. um, how to identify which keys um make
0: which notes uh, Mm -hmm. things of that nature yeah exactly um and a big thing too is like getting that muscle memory down um i mean obviously nothing's gonna beat um you know actually having a physical keyboard a physical piano to play on but i just kind of imagine in my head uh let's say you just want someone to have a primer like a quick understanding of how to do this I just Mm -hmm. think this would be a great way to kind of expose someone to this without paying a lot of money for an actual piano or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. So you mentioned kind of
1: Guitar Hero as a um, as a sample, kind of uh, how to learn music without having to play the actual guitar. So tell me about this, the vision for the this app or this this program that you're creating. What is the final form going to look like?
0: Um, so there's a lot of backstory to go into that. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Do you know the old show, The Fairly Odd Parents? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, so it's it's from Nickelodeon, but basically it's a cartoon. I just remember an episode from when I was a kid where uh, the main character Timmy went to the future and was basically brain dumped all the information in his in his class in like two seconds based on the VR. Uh, based on like a headset that he had on and that idea literally for 20 years whatever it is stuck with me (laughs) so in my head i imagine a physical facility um that's aimed towards high schoolers specifically um that's kind of like my target audience right now i don't know how soon this would happen but i just imagine them coming there after school for an extracurricular and um having a fun way of learning music, right? Not a lot of people want to learn to play classical piano. Maybe it would be a great way to help them learn a little bit about music production. Um, And as well, along with that would be a cool way of learning to play a little bit of piano, understanding how that works in, in in a low stakes environment before you get to like college where you're spending a lot of money to actually get that access to that education. Gotcha. Okay. So, it,
1: like a place where you can go to you want to learn how to play a musical instrument you mm-hmm. put on like a vr headset and you've got like the haptic gloves and mm-hmm. then you can choose in a virtual revo- environment what type of instrument you want to play so if you select piano you have the gloves on you've got the headset on you can sit, select piano and then start from there and it'll teach you the process from the ground up like what are the basics of playing the piano the notes and, and things of that nature is that right
0: yeah pretty much um i actually worked with a professor in in college a little bit even after i graduated and he gave me some really cool ideas and some feedback on um how i could progress with this because he he agrees he was a music educator that stuff like this would be really cool he even took it a step further and he like for those of you who are maybe familiar with like ring fit uh, my my professor's idea was to kind of gamify it the same way you gamify exercise and have a level at the end. So um, maybe there's a timing thing in, in place, and that's kind of where I brought up the guitar hero, right? Because there's mm-hmm. um, there's an objective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. And so
1: this you had this conversation with your uh, with one of your professors, and where are you in? in the process of getting this scene created. I know you mentioned a prototype. I know you mentioned, you know, getting the haptics down. Like, where where are you right now?
0: So I'm nowhere near a product where you can have, like, an objective and a level that you play or anything like that. Right now, I've done what is called, like, the MVP, which is my minimal viable product. Um, At this point, I want to make sure that the VR piano works and you have haptic feedback. So I just completed um, working on that stage of it, basically getting the whole piano working, Um, And now I'm just kind of seeking some feedback. I brought it to my friend's house uh, a couple days ago and Mm -hmm. he gave me some feedback that was pretty helpful, like resizing the piano. Like maybe your hands are bigger, maybe they're smaller. So having a little button that you could have to instantly scale it up or scale it down, that might be the next step.
1: Gotcha. So you
0: mentioned, you
1: mentioned that this is one of the issues that you're tackling at the moment. Like what are, have you done a brain dump of all of the things that you need to, do next to 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 move the progress forward um like do you have a list or are you just kind of like playing it by ear and like okay well this is something that i need to do and then i'll work on it from there
0: um i do write down some ideas i think i could do better at doing a brain dump i know with our previous guest alexa Man- alexia mandeville she mentioned um actually having people set aside and write down all their ideas and um I forgot what what term that she used for it, but she would present that to the rest of the team.
1: Gotcha. Like kind of like a brainstorm and then have it, I think she mentioned putting it all on on an Excel spreadsheet, right?
0: Yeah. Um, So that might be something I'm doing. I did just recently start a notes app. Like for me, I use my notes app on my phone all the time to write down mm -hmm. ideas. And I've been speaking with one of my friends who has a degree in game design Um, Mm -hmm. because really like, as cool as it is to me, I need to get the feedback of someone who's not a musician. So it's his mm-hmm. feedback has been pretty invaluable. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, so you mentioned
1: that uh, integrating music, uh, haptics, AR and VR, um, and then you mentioned you know that you've been working with people already. Uh, are there any other disciplines that you need to um, to find to help you out with this, uh, or is this all going to just be a, a Kind of one person show where you're you're kind of doing everything.
0: Yeah, so that's a good question. I definitely intend to bring more people on to help out with in the future. Right now, like I mentioned before, the MVP it's within it's within scope for me to complete on my own. But I have occasionally reached out to friends that um, may have different experience, and they'll help me tackle the the, the problem a little bit differently. But as of right now, it's kind of just by, by myself. Um, but yeah, as I scale this up, like I like I said, you know, if I have a studio or a facility to teach people, I would love to um, bring on other members of the team. And I do have some people in mind from college that, <laughs> when the time comes, I would reach out to them. You know, gotcha. Yeah.
1: And how do you how do you envision this product um, being delivered, like hardware wise? Uh, What's somebody going to need in order to um, to use this app? Like, are you? Is it only going to be VR? Is it going to be AR? Is it going to be certain types of uh, hardware, phones, smartwatches? Like, what is? What would somebody need?
0: Yeah, so that's really difficult to say. I think ultimately, with AR and VR, price is going to dictate what form it will take. Right now, it's with the Quest Two because that's $300, $300, which is less expensive than a console like an Xbox or a PlayStation. Um, so yeah, I, that's kind of where I think um, is going to take over like the trends in, in what's popular. But in the future, I do kind of plan to research doing this in AR. Um, that's way down the road, though, because this is made in Unity and it's mobile. So it's it, technically, in theory, wouldn't be too difficult to port this over to like an AR device. Okay, cool. Um, and then you mentioned that you're
1: already getting like people to kind of play test it and give feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> what's the – can you go a little deeper into the feedback that you've been getting? Uh, sure, and I'll start off by saying that, um, again, a lot of insights that I've gained, right? I don't like to tell people what my vision is for this before they try it. I want to see mm-hmm. what they think. And then give me their opinion and where they think I could go with this. And then I'll tell them how closely that matches or that aligns with what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I think I've been on the, on the right track because I, I presented this idea in a YouTube video with some friends at a restaurant a month ago. And they're like, yo, like, where are, you, where are you thinking about going with this project? And I said, I don't know. Where do you think I should go? And they said, I think this would be a really great educational tool. And I'm like, I'm really happy you said that because that's exactly the direction I want to go with this. Okay.
1: Cool. And then <clears throat> part of this is thinking, okay, if you want it to be put into, like, the education system, what would that process be? Have, have you even thought about that? Like, who would you need to talk to in order to get this implemented, like, wide scale? Um, I know it's still, like, just early in development, but I know thinking of things like that in the future can help kind of determine what are some of the like technologies that you can use? Because if you think about schools, Mm -hmm. some of them, you know, some of them have access to certain technologies and others don't. So that may play into where you develop, right? What, what hardware you decide to use, or maybe they are you already using some sort of program and maybe you're going to have to migrate in order in, into their systems. Like, have you thought about how you're going to
0: move it forward um, down the line? I have thought about that a little bit. I mentioned before, um, working with a professor before I graduated um, from San Diego state. And he's mentioned a few different organizations I could reach out to, to get funding for educational projects. Mm -hmm. So as this starts to pick up again, I think it would make sense to reach out to him and then help him kind of guide the way on uh, where I could get funding for this kind of thing. Because um, that's something else I learned as well. Um, When you're working on your own projects, it's a lot easier to get funding for an educational based game than it is for like something that's just purely entertainment. So mm-hmm. again, we mentioned um, in our in our previous episode with Alexa Alexia Mandeville, she got her first job working on serious games. Serious games meaning games that are being researched, um, like they're researching topics in school, and so she was paid through like they had a development program and they paid her to do that. Um, so yeah, I guess you can consider this like a serious games genre. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um,
1: And regarding people that you'll uh, that you'll need to work with in the future. um, How have you been finding people to to work with? Like, is it just from your network? Have you been reaching out to people on LinkedIn? Um, Mm -hmm. Is it just people that you've gone to school with? Um, How how
0: how has your search been going? So it's mostly people that I went to school with or people that I'm already familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, I am doing some research currently on how I can more widely distribute, um, the app. Mm -hmm. And once I get to that point, it will become a lot easier to send it out to people for beta testing and stuff like that. Um, but as it stands, mostly just my inner circle, my close friends, um, ultimately though, I do want to reach out to people like maybe in, in the education sphere, like music education, to test it out themselves and get more feedback from different music educators because um, I don't have a lot of experience actually teaching students just experience you know being on the other side of that so get like uh, for instance we had a guest Michael Spicer he would be the ideal type of person to get some some uh, advice from because he teaches at the university I'm sure he's student taught and and all of that stuff
1: gotcha Um, okay cool and you're Mentioning that working with others, other professionals, other students, um, have you ever considered doing things like uh, working specifically with a like teachers, and then they'll incorporate the students, and some of the projects that they work on could benefit your project, you know what I mean?
0: You know, I actually hadn't thought about that, but that's a pretty good idea. I know back when I was in school, we did something similar, and again... Uh, referencing another episode of our podcast, we brought on Rosalind um, Conrady um, with the virtual reality club. They did a whole project with the virtual, with um, astronomy, with the astronomy mm-hmm. 101 class. So I definitely think there's the potential to have this incorporated um, into like a music education, like a 101 class or something for piano. Gotcha. Cool. Um, yeah, that's freaking awesome. And
1: I love the fact that you're, um, that you're putting this together. And I know something that I've talked about is taking these projects and just kind of putting it out in the universe, in particular on a platform like LinkedIn, mm-hmm. because putting an idea out there, it's a it's a network of professionals, right? And you've got people that are not only interested in these types of projects, but also ones that could potentially... Um, fund it, ones that could, ones that are like professional level that could contribute to it, you know, professionals that could give, you know, feedback from years of experience as mm-hmm. opposed to just like theory. Right. Um, have you been posting your work anywhere? You mentioned YouTube, but is it anywhere else?
0: So I do have one post on LinkedIn. I, I believe you've seen it. It's the one where mm-hmm. um, basically I got the haptic feedback working. Um, actually, I have two. The, the first step was making sure the hand tracking was working. And then the next step was getting the haptic feedback. And that's another, that's another tip that I would have for anyone that wants to like work on any larger scale project is to break it down into more digest, digestible chunks. Um, meaning you'll, there's no point in making a, a, a huge project and finding out that one of the major components doesn't work. So test out each of those in smaller projects before you find out, okay, this works, this works, this works. Now that I have this prior experience, let me combine that with what I've done here. Gotcha. I love that you talked about having little digestible
1: chunks. And that that leads me into one of the questions that I want to ask is, do you have like a time frame? Because I know in software development, uh, a lot of companies will use things like sprints, which is like short, you know, points of time, like two weeks or a month where they'll have a goal within that certain amount of time. And it'll allow them to focus just on one aspect of whatever they're developing.
0: Do you have any any kind of timeframes that, you, that you're looking to follow? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't really. That's something that I need to be better with. Um, well, full transparency, I don't come from the software engineering background. The job mm-hmm. I have now is my first exposure to sprints, to JIRA, all that kind of stuff. So I'm actually looking into possibly incorporating it. Now that you've mentioned that, it's a really good idea. I should do that. Um, I will say that, generally speaking, I'll have an idea of something that I want done. And I'll have a date that I want to get it done by. For instance, um, I've been off for a couple of weeks for the holidays. And I knew that this was going to be my best time to get a lot of work done on this project without having work to work too. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, I want X, Y, and Z done before the weekend. And I did. I got it done by Thursday or Friday, you know, and today's Sunday.
1: Cool. And like one of the things that uh, that I love is that you're making progress on this. And I think a great opportunity for you would be to kind of post uh, would be to post more of your progress on LinkedIn. So if you have kind of this idea and this vision of something that you're working on, And if you say, hey, LinkedIn world, I'm working on this project, and over the course of the month of January, this is what I'm looking to do, right? And Mm -hmm. if you post every other day, just kind of the things that you're working on in progress, you're giving other people the opportunity to see your story, right? Mm -hmm. And to see the evolution. Mm -hmm. And that can be very valuable, um, not only for the project, but also for you professionally. Mm -hmm. Because- As you're showing off the skill sets that you have, all of the professionals in the LinkedIn world are going to notice that you're posting, right? If Mm -hmm. they see your post Mm -hmm. come up every other day, they're like, oh, Byron, oh, Byron is a developer. He's working on this project. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. He's self-driven because nobody's forcing you to do these things, right? Right. And when you show people that you're self-driven, they know that about you as opposed to having them just see it as a bullet point on your resume and seeing hey self-driven, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can kind of be like an audition for you moving forward, just in case that's something that you want to do professionally. Or maybe if you decide that you don't want to do it on your own anymore, you maybe want to piggyback on another company that's doing something similar. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but it's, I think that's very powerful to kind of show the progress instead of waiting until you have a finished product, Mm -hmm. because let's say it takes you a year to get the finished product, right? Then like that's one year of missed opportunities to help people get on board with you, right? Right. Um, And instead of it just being that one moment, like if you only have that one post, then people don't know you don't know if they're actually on social media at that time or if they're taking a break off of being on LinkedIn as opposed to if you post every other day, like you give so many people multiple opportunities to jump on board, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's also one of those things where just putting yourself out there, it gives others the opportunity that are looking for chances to help others, Right. Mm-hmm. Because like for me, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn just scrolling through. And if I see somebody that needs help and I can provide that help, I'm more than happy to help make connections. You know, if they could use uh, some promotion on a podcast, if they are looking for narrative designers, and I know somebody who loves to teach narrative design, right? I can make that connection. So just kind of not just creating the product, but what are the additional kind of skills that are needed to get something like this off the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where LinkedIn in particular can be super helpful um, just to see like what's the progress, who are you, what are the things that you're doing? How are you attacking these problems that you come across? And also just kind of putting it out there to say, if anybody has feedback, you give them the opportunity to give you feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of like, Going to a friend and saying, hey, can you take a look at this? Now they feel kind of obligated where as opposed to if you put it on LinkedIn and say, hey, LinkedIn world, I'm looking for feedback. Then you're giving people the opportunity to give feedback if they have the time for it. Right. Right. Um. So, yeah, that's just one of those things where it can be super helpful. And if you're asking for feedback on a platform like LinkedIn, you can get hundreds of people giving feedback and not just like one or two. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of trade off there. Is that like, yeah, you can get a lot more feedback, but it may not be as in depth as going like one-on-one.
0: Yeah. That's definitely something to consider. Um, I definitely can do, do more feedback. I think it would also help with what you mentioned about doing sprints. If I Mm -hmm. can have more deadlines and that's Mm -hmm. more progress that I can show as well. Yeah. And that's just kind of a hack to get stuff done.
1: Because if you have a, a set deadline, then you're like focused on that deadline as opposed to, oh, I've got all of the time in the world. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you just kind of let it sit on the back burner and you don't get to it and then you forget about it. So, yeah, that's one of the things why like time limits can be so effective. That's why they put them in so many video games to, to help kind of focus on the urgency of just
0: getting some stuff done. Mm-hmm. I agree. And another part of that, too, for me is finding out the times of day that work best to work on the project. Um, For me, I work best during the day. Like I'll wake up early, work out. And then after I've done that, I'll probably immediately work on the project. Um, So the idea is that you have certain things that you have to do and certain things that you want to do. And if you set those things that you want to do first thing in the morning or first thing in your day, then at the very least you've accomplished, um, you know, you've accomplished what you wanted to for the day besides what you had Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm.
1: And that feels such relief. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love is that you are in a professional environment already, right? And you're seeing, you know, people, how, how this is done at a professional level and what's the attention to detail that's required. And you're seeing systems that are put into place with, Uh, You already mentioned sprints and project planning and how to do things like prioritize. And now you can take those ideas like, oh, shit, like this is how I should focus what I need to work on. And you're just using the example of an established company that's already doing it, you know, at a high level. Right. And these are the things that that separate being a professional versus uh, versus being an amateur. Mm -hmm. Right. And I love that you're you're getting that feedback, you know, one to one on a professional basis. So, yeah, like definitely talk to people at your work and other professionals just to see, like, the process of, of putting like world class pieces of software together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're definitely in a good place to keep doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, one thing that I've noticed at work is I've gained way more respect for the QA team. Um, there's a, for me, I had a There is always a stigma that, you know, QA is at kind of the bottom of the totem pole, whatever it is. But uh, a good friend of mine at the company now, uh, he's a QA manager. And it really kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there is a career path. There is like there are higher levels to QA. And I feel like a dick because there are certain points where I've said, oh, like, what do you want to do after QA to people? Not as an insult but because I genuinely did not know that you could move up in QA. And so having him talk to me about all the experiences he's had at different companies and here, he's explained Scrum Master, getting the training for that. It's Mm -hmm. all been pretty helpful. And um, I think the biggest thing for me working here is um, I like to say that working there didn't make me a better programmer, but it made me a better engineer. And what I mean by that is that I'm more intentional with the choices that I make. Mm Mm-hmm
1: yeah and like i love that you're having the insight of like what are all of the different roles that are available um, and what are the roles that are required in order to push out you know a piece of software professionally cuz you mentioned quality assurance right mm-hmm. it's not just the developers that are actually making the code work but who are the people that are testing it exactly right exactly. and and that's so valuable because like developers spending like their they're the only ones that can actually make the program work, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to have, you know, testers who are making sure that all of the functionality actually works, right? Exactly. Um so and then not only that, but what are all of the other departments that are involved, right? Marketing, um, you know, who are the admins? Who are the who are the people that are there just to make the company run? Right? Yep. Um, like what's the importance of having janitors? in mm-hmm. a company, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want the developers focusing on developing and not cleaning up all of the stuff that, you know, just comes along with a bunch of people being together. Yeah. Um so now that you're seeing this, now you're getting a better idea of how to scale the the skill sets that you're going to need moving forward because it sounds like this is going to be a pretty big project mm-hmm. and it's going to require a lot of different different talents.
0: Right. And it's not to say that I can't eventually do all this myself, but it just makes way more sense to bring other people onto the team to do that for me. Like again, I'll I'll reference a previous episode. Alexia Mandeville mentioned she can do UX, she can do narrative design, but something she's learning more in her current role as a lead game designer is delegating her tasks and having faith that they'll deliver um a good product. They'll deliver a good um uh good well do they'll, they'll deliver good work. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's one of the biggest things is not just learning the technical skills of putting something together, but what are the people skills that you need? (laughs) Because if you think about all of these like triple A games, you know, the big, the best quality in the world, like no one person put that together. right? Right. And a big part of it is like who's the leadership and how have they. How are they able to put together these teams of people to all unite under one vision to put a game together? Right, that takes people's skills. Definitely. You know? it, it's not just about how brilliant you are as a as a programmer or a designer or an, or an artist, but how are you taking that and everybody putting it together to make an amazing piece of work? Um, and yeah, that's that's one of those things where. The the people skills, Um, that's why I love to focus on that because I know that there's a lot of companies and and schools that it kind of takes a a backseat to the technical aspects of
0: of getting a job. Absolutely. Um, And I know for myself too, um, that's something that I I do pride myself in um, is the people skills. That's something that I'm I'm always pretty conscious of. Um, I guess due to experiences that I've had in the past maybe is why I am the way I am. But a lot of friends and family tell me that I have an incredible amount of patience. And it's weird, too, because I'm not always in a situation where it seems obvious to me. But I guess there's something that I display that makes people think that or, or see that in me. And so I'm like, if people have been saying that to me my whole life, then obviously there's some merit to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I, it it might just be part of a personality type. I think so. Um, It just being kind of... Um, the more introverted kind of stereotypically introverted type of nature, where you're more thoughtful, kind of sit back and and really think of things and analyze things, and always have stuff kind of processing in your brain. Um, yeah, I think that's that is a huge kind of superpower. Um, and it just it gets overlooked a lot because it's not the um aggressive assertive braggadocious type of personality that you see that you typically think of as like leadership right Mm -hmm. um and that's one of the things that i learned is that a lot of the most um accomplished leaders are the ones that are more um more reserved in their nature Mm -hmm. because they actually take a step back and and think about a situation before before making a snap judgment on it yeah, and I I see that in you as well. That you're you're very analytical in the way that you approach these things, and it's not just I'm gonna go out there and and make something happen, but you actually put some thought into it before you take the action. Is that is that fair?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, it's a conscious choice. <laughs> it's 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 something that I always try to work on because I think I won't get too far into it, but I, due to my background, sometimes I think I. I I can get kind of cocky if I'm not careful. Um, but I do remember one instance in college where someone, or I thought I was the shit. I was really, really cocky. <laughs> and they just, they pulled me in my place real quick. <laughs> and it always stuck with me. Yeah.
1: And it, yeah, it's, it's interesting
0: too, because I mean, this was outside of school, but your professors don't, it's, Not to say that it's a bad thing, but um, you're not taught these lessons in school. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And part of it is because there's just so much stuff to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't expect to learn everything in, like, a four-year degree. Like, life is ongoing learning process, right? There's, like, there's shit that I'm still learning today. (laughs) Because there's just so much to learn. Um, and that's okay. That's that's just part of the process and understanding that, you know, school will give you some things and then there's a lot of stuff that you need to learn afterwards. And when you have that that mentality that always learning, to always be learning, um, I think that's a, a good mindset to have because I know that I was too confident at one point and especially like when I was a young adult um, – you know, I thought I knew the entire world because I, good gr- I got good grades in high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then real life has a way of kind of smacking you in the ass and saying, yeah, you, you don't, you're not as hot as you think you are. Um, so, yeah, very uh, humbling. Uh, and then at the same time, it's not just about um, learning your limits about being too confident, but also learning the limits of being too cautious because that in itself has some dangers. Because mm. for me in particular, there were times where I was just too afraid to do something, and I'd get into that analysis paralysis. Yes, where I'd have word. great ideas, yes. um, but I wouldn't act on it. Right, and mm. then just being honest with myself is like, oh, I saw like, yeah, I had that problem before, and it's a constant battle of like, how do I, how do I balance those things, right? How do I be assertive but not too, too much. But then how do I be careful, but not so much that it holds me back and that I don't progress at all? So, yeah, I think that's something that we all are challenged with and mm-hmm. not just us, but also when we deal with other people, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. like some people are in the mindset of wanting to grow and they're – or some people aren't. So that's that's one of the interesting things about just working in a professional environment is dealing with all of these different types of personalities.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, you're reminding me of something too. So. Um, I have a long background, long history doing music. And when I was in high school, I did marching band. I specifically remember wanting one of the parents saying a phrase some years ago that always stuck with me. And because they're like, oh, how are you always so dedicated to the band? You show up for this, you show up for that. Um, And she just kind of said, I just got comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable. But then I, yeah, uncomfortable. but then I think about yeah. it and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So you said
1: that that's something that's kind of stuck with you since then. How have you been
0: applying that to yourself? Um. So I'll, I'll say for myself, um, it's been a couple things. Um, We'll we'll talk about work. We'll we'll say um, I worked at a job. I worked at a COVID testing center. And I think I mentioned this on a previous episode way in the beginning, but I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was doing. But I had a goal in mind, which at the time was a master's program. Well, certain people were just like, oh, why are you getting a master's in that instead of this? And just kind of had to block out the noise and had to get used to Okay, I'm doing something that my family thinks is kind of odd, but honestly, it's for me. It's not for them. It's It goes along with a phrase that I've used a couple times in the podcast, opinions don't pay rent. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so at first it was the master's degree. And so then I decided, okay, I have this I have X amount of money saved up. So I actually left that job because I was in a pretty bad situation. And again, people were just like, well, don't you want to wait until at least another month? You might get this, you might get that. And I'm just like, nope. And guess what? It didn't come a month later. I have a friend that still works there, and I think it was ultimately the best decision for me because not only did my whole mentality become better, become more positive, but it also led me to where I'm currently working at because I had the bravery to just say, oh, well, whatever. I have this money saved up from working here. Let me just reach out to these guys and just see what they're doing. Again, being uncomfortable, but being comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's such a great lesson moving forward, because like especially with the way the traditional school system is, at least the way that I experienced it, um, there's like so many penalties for failing, when the reality is you learn the most from your failures, mm-hmm. um, and just making a decision and not being perfect all the time, and that was one of those things where. <clears throat> I fell into that trap because I got good grades in, in high school because I knew how to take tests. And somehow my my young adult brain processed that into, oh, the rest of life in adulthood is going to be exactly like that. But it, that wasn't the case at all. Um, so for by me just being comfortable at that level, um, yeah, I had a rude awakening and I was, I was forced into discomfort instead of me like voluntarily going into it. And I think that's one of the big things is that with growth, you, it's putting yourself in a position where you're, where you're intentionally put, making yourself uncomfortable because it's better that you're doing it in your, on, on your own terms, instead of being put in a situation where you're forced into it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that was one of the, the hardest lessons that I had to learn because like it's, it sucks when you're forced into a situation that you're not ready to deal with. Um, but that at happened. least That's one of the things, to too. <laughs> at least one of the things that I learned is that even going through those situations, I still lived through it all. Right. Mm-hmm. And as, as, as horrible as it was that those are lessons that I'll take moving forward. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm. I'm not going to make that mistake again. So yeah, it just keeping the the right mindset, constantly growing, being uncomfortable because life is going to get
0: tough, whether you like it or not. Um, you might as well meet it on your own terms, right? Absolutely. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm perfect or I just, you know, I always practice this stuff. Um, but I think a big part of this is again, referencing another episode of our podcast with, uh, with Tony and Tony um mm-hmm. where we mentioned surrounding yourself with a bunch of positive people. That's something that hmm. I try to do um, because I do have different groups of friends, groups I made in college, groups I, you know, friends I have from before that. And not everyone is on the same page. I've noticed more so with my friends from college, their interests are more in line with what I do now. Um, and they understand the almost compulsive need slash desire to work on your own projects because we're all artists we're all creators Mm -hmm. but not all of my friends from before that understand that because they did not go into creative fields um so i have to kind of balance who do i want to spend my time with because i think it's like you say right you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with Mm -hmm. yeah
1: absolutely and that's That's the thing about life is like, you don't always stick around the same people because your goals, your, you know, the stage of your life, it changes and everybody lives their own lives. And as much as like, we want to be there with the people that we grow up with and maintain those relationships, sometimes like... You can't do that because we've only got a certain amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. We, all, we all have 24 hours in a day. And sometimes we just have to prioritize according to what our what, what's most important in our own individual lives. Um, and that's cool because not only do we get to do that, but they get to do that as well. Mm-hmm. So if somebody – like if we used to be cool with somebody and they don't show up that much anymore, part of this is just understanding that they're in their own journey. Right. right. And instead right. of us kind of like judging them based on, you know, our own selfish needs, like part of that is just understanding that, hey, they're doing their own thing. That's totally cool because that's their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's given me a lot of peace of mind because I used to take it personally mm-hmm. when somebody else wouldn't hang out or if they couldn't make it to an event. Um, but now I'm a little bit older, a little more wiser, a little wise hopefully um (laughs) and a little more forgiving and Mm -hmm. i know that part of that is just that's that's life in general so yeah um being just having that knowledge that one make time for ourselves and understanding that everybody else is doing the same for themselves
0: yeah definitely and it's like you said um i'm like i'm still learning this it's it's something that i think about pretty often um being as i've only been out of college for a few years um but yeah, it definitely gives me more empathy or more understanding when I have friends or a particular friend who is looking to move to Texas pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, his mind's not always on hanging out. It's on like, I got finances. I got to g- get, you know, lined up. He's trying to buy a house out there. I'm mm-hmm. like, I get it. You know what? Like, we're still friends, but do your you do you. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing is like, just
1: having that relationship and yeah, maybe it, it'll come back around sometime in the future. Cause maybe he'll decide in three years to move back to California, who knows? Um, but just being cool with everybody as you have the interactions, because knowing that sometimes people move out and then they move back in. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you want, at least for me, I try to be the person who, um, if, if I cross paths with somebody, I want to make their life better than before they met me, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. like That's some something that I consciously try to do. I, that's kind of what the philosophy I built my, my whole career on is like, how can I be of service to others, right? Mm. Um, and that's just one of the things that I learned through reading personal development books. And it makes so much sense because – who are the people that I like the most or that I enjoy being around the most is the ones that are always giving the Mm -hmm. ones that are always helping. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, well, if that's the type of person that I like, if I do those same things, then, you know, I'll be more likable. And so much about society is just learning how to deal with other people. And then for me, it's the balance of how, how do I make sure that I'm taking care of myself without, you know, sacrificing everything about me for other people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's going back to the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Is like, how do I make it a win-win mm-hmm. so that other people benefit and I benefit as well? Mm-hmm. And that's um, one of the philosophies that I love to live by.
0: Yeah, ultimately, like something that I have, again, I think about this stuff so much, but you, like you mentioned that book, Seven Habits. Also, um, what is it? A uh, Total Money Makeover, Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. I would recently mm-hmm. picked that one up. Uh, but one, I think the, the thing that that's, um, consistent between what these people preach is that, um, your mindset and behavior is king before anything else happens. So, um, like for me, maybe a family member, or maybe a friend will say something that could offend me. I have to think, do I want to ruin my day? over this five minute interaction or do I want to like like I, and I, and I'm like, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And understanding that you have a decision
1: on how you respond. Um, yeah, there's a saying in, in the seven habits, it goes in between stimulus and, sp- and response is a space. And in that space, you get to decide and that space will ultimately result in, you know, your life, right? How you decide to respond to anything that happens in the world. Um, And it can be tough because sometimes like those emotions are instantaneous, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes you got to take a step back and think like, why am I responding a certain way to a situation? Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you have that insight that, oh shit, I can control it. That's when the world really starts to open up because you can, you're, you're creating from yourself and you're not just responding to everybody else. If that makes sense.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think I've told you this before, um, because I know we've talked about this, but I think back to that scene in the first matrix movie where after agent Smith shoots him, he gets up, they shoot the bullets and he realizes, wait, it's just code. I can stop this. He stops reacting to it and just said, Oh, get out of here.
1: <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. hmm And then another part of the matrix is know thyself. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's one of the things that I never, I was never taught. It was, it's crazy. Like, as I've become a more mature adult, hopefully, um, I've just been more aware of my own programming and what's all the stuff that I've been kind of brainwashed with before, especially stuff that wasn't true. And how am I kind of, deprogramming myself from all of those things mm-hmm. um right because like part of it is from school is like go to school to get a job work 40 hours a week and blah 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 pay bills get a, ho- a home that type of thing and it's like now i've now that i'm a little more uh, educated i know that a lot of that was bullshit and mm-hmm. it's just like it doesn't apply and it's old it's old news and it just doesn't work anymore. So yeah, I just have to be honest with myself. Is like, what's my personal truth. Mm-hmm. And then what's the stuff
0: that like society is trying to, to force feed into people. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of feeds back into what I brought up with the whole studio and having students there, um, kind of imparting some advice, but in a more natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that you can t- like take any of these situations, like take any of that stuff with you in the future doesn't matter what you're studying, what your experience is. I think there's really some common truths that 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 stick with all of them. Um, so that's a that's a big thing for me, especially having my background. I didn't do a lot of teaching music, but I do have a pretty strong background with I worked at a couple camps. I've worked as a tutor. And so that really helped me develop empathy, seeing mistakes that they've made that they make that I have also made in the past um, and how I can help them kind of move past that and push forward.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I love is that there's so many principles that apply in music that can apply in real life. And you you talked about this already, for example, in order to be a great musician, like you have to put in the practice, you have to put in the time. There's like no shortcutting it. Um, Like if you want to be a world-class piano player, like you have to put in the time and, like constant repetition and constantly grow and part of like some of the things that you mentioned be uncomfortable being uncomfortable like as you're learning and as you're growing you're putting yourself into situations where like if you're going to perform a you know a piece on a a concert level like there have to be tons and tons of days of you fucking that up
0: right yeah and being okay and with it's, that.
1: <laughs> and being okay with that. And that's part of the process. And that's so much uh, that, that applies directly to pretty much everything in life, right? If you want to get good at finances, you have to go out and make a shit ton of like bad decisions and learn from them and move forward. Same thing with relationships. You mm-hmm. have to go through bad relationships in order to really appreciate the good ones, mm-hmm. right? And that's just like – that's one of the things I love about learning. Is like you can take the, the principles from pretty much any type of, you know, any theme and then apply it to real life. Because like these are the principles.
0: Yeah, I think the key there is definitely just to have an open mind for that. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about that quite a bit on the podcast as well. Um, again, I think with our previous episode with, um, with uh, Alexia, she mentioned being kind of a generalist. I mean, obviously that means she has an open mind. She, she borrows from so many different experiences and she said it's only made her a better game designer. Yeah. And
1: just like, like life is like being a generalist. Like there's so many things that life has that just deals you and you have to kind of be, you have to know about all of them, like finances, like you have to know about finances. Right. (laughs) Um, relationships and interacting with other people. That's, you know, learning about soft skills, you know, um, health, right. Health is an entire industry. You need to know about that so you can stay healthy, right. Mm-hmm. So like being a generalist at, at living. So yeah, it's, a uh, it's crazy how, as I grow older, I see how everything fits together mm-hmm. and it's not just like these individual kind of departments and roles it's like everybody's intertwined and they're all important parts right no one is better than the other So, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely those are some ideas i would love to get across like if i you know opened up a facility doing this kind of thing um because you know music doesn't exist in a vacuum it's Mm -hmm. kind of odd because i was actually kind of taught that it was at certain points in school which is total bullcrap in my opinion art is a response to what culture
1: Mhm. So, and if you yeah. think if you think about how music has impacted the entire world from from video games to like cultural revolutions to um, just like how how noises are made music is made from the voice, you know, through musical instruments, through, you know, things in everyday life. Yeah. Like people are making music from um, cats meowing. Right, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. and it's crazy and it's it it all like fits together
0: yeah definitely definitely oh dude yeah we're already um (laughs) close to the hour crazy how fast time goes
1: and like how we can take different tangents because we started talking about the app and now we're just talking about life but again just how everything is kind of intertwined so Mm -hmm. yeah that's why i love having these conversations and just being able to record it and hopefully there's some nuggets in there that, you know, our listeners will will find valuable. Um, but yeah, like game development, music, that's all part of life and it all intertwines. Um and that's what we're here to Just help out people in their journey wherever they are. Um, at least that's that's one of the things that I love to do and I'm glad that we have this platform to put it. Yeah.
0: Put it out there. Definitely. Yeah. Appreciate you guys uh listening to the podcast. Um hope you I hope you enjoyed the different format we've done a few of these in the beginning every once in a while um we'd like to bring back you know just these one on one conversations um while we you know work out the scheduling with our our main guests and stuff like that um but yeah um also wanted to mention that we are on TikTok Instagram YouTube um this episode will be coming out or I guess you'll, if you're listening to it you'll it's already out but um, basically, you can expect these episodes out on Fridays. I try to get them out by Fridays at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And, um, yeah, so you can you have the choice of watching it on there. You have the choice of watching it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple. Um, is it iTunes? Probably just iTunes. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty much anywhere, anywhere that you can find a podcast, our podcast will be on there. So, yeah, yeah. thanks so much for watching, for listening.
1: And if you guys have any types of feedback, any types of guests that you want to hear moving forward, uh, designers, programmers, artists, people from certain companies, uh, let us know, and we'll do our best to uh, to find those people.
0: Cool? All right. See you guys later. See ya.